Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your hosts. I'm Erica. And I'm Abby. And today I'm going to tell you about the murder of Tong Xiao. Today I am drinking coffee <laughs> of the black variety in a little ghost mug. It's a mug that has ghosts on it, and it says, I boo what I want. I think I was drinking out of this possibly last week. I am, or the week before, I don't remember, but I am ready for fall. I am done with the heat. I'm ready for spooky season. Yeah, actually today I had, I skipped spooky season and went straight to Christmas and got a peppermint latte. (laughs) That's not what I'm drinking right now though. Would say I was judging you, but I also was drinking out of a Merry Christmas mug the other day, so I feel like I can't. Um, well, I'm drinking coffee. I think it's Javalia. I'm just going to stick with that because I don't know. But it's pretty good. It's better than the coffee I was drinking last week, which tasted like But Yes. All right. So pour yourselves a cup of whatever holiday mug you're drinking out of. And let's dive in. We will continue on with our content for this week's episode shortly, but first we wanted to take a moment to let you know about an opportunity to listen to even more Crime Over Coffee content. By signing up for our Patreon, you can receive ad-free episodes and additional content. To check out this opportunity and sign up for the Crime Over Coffee Patreon, visit www.patreon.com slash crimeovercoffeepod. Thank you again for all of your support. Tong Xiao was born in August of 1994. Tong was known as a very smart kid. She did a great job in school and high school, and she had always wanted to go to the United States to study. And so in the summer, sometime during school, she went to Beijing to a summer camp to improve her English language skills. That way she would have an easier or smoother transition if she did go study in the U.S. Eventually, she ends up getting accepted to Iowa State University in Ames, Iowa, and she decided to get her degree in chemical engineering. As I mentioned, she was a great student. She was known to be very friendly and smart. She actively participated in a lot of group activities and made a lot of friends. She also liked to sing and dance. She played the piano and had a strong interest in sculpture and art. In September of 2014, she was at Iowa State studying. And on the 6th, she actually had a group study session and it was a Saturday afternoon. After a study session, she had plans to go have a getaway weekend with her boyfriend, Lee Zhengjiang. She heads off and on Monday, September 8th, one of her friends and roommates receives a text message from Tong, supposedly via Lee's cell phone. It says, quote, hey, I'm still in Iowa City, but I lost my phone, so I'm texting from Lee's. He has a family emergency and may have to fly back to China today. So I'm going to catch a bus to Minnesota and visit some friends there, and I'll be back in a week. I'm keeping Lee's phone with me, but it's running out of battery, end quote. Additionally, a text goes to Tong's father, and it basically says that she's been really busy with classes, and she might not be able to get in contact with them for a while, but she'll catch up soon. And as time goes by, her roommates don't hear from her, and on... September 17th, so 11 days after she had left, she 
Her roommate and friends start looking at her Facebook page and contacting people that Tong was in contact with and nobody had heard from her. And they find this very suspicious, very out of character. And so they call the police department to report her missing. A little bit about Lee. Lee was born in Zhejiang in September of 1991. And he was a sophomore at the business school of Cambridge College in Shanghai in July of 2011. He really wanted to study abroad as well. And so he had talked to his parents about going to the US and he went to an English training school in Beijing so that he could learn English a little bit better to make this transition smoother, much like Tong. And actually this is where they met. They started hanging out and helping each other study English and would go out to eat. And Lee definitely had an interest in Tong, but she wasn't sure she really wanted to date him. She was kind of looking at him as more of a friend. Eventually, Tong gets accepted to Iowa State and moves to the U.S. And Lee is missing Tong, and so he decides he wants to apply to a school in the U.S. and at least get closer to her. And he ends up getting admitted to a university, the Rochester Institute of Technology in New York. However, they were still really far away from each other, but the fact that he moved to the U.S. to be closer to Tong really hit her, pulled out her heartstrings, and they became boyfriend and girlfriend. However, the commute was really hard for them to hang out, so he ends up taking a transfer exam and gets accepted to the University of Iowa. It's not the same school or university that Tong was at, but they were only about two hours from each other, so this was a lot easier for them to see each other as they were dating. However, as I mentioned, Tong was really outgoing. She was smart, funny, pretty, and she really attracted a lot of attention because of this. Lee was very jealous about Tong's social media and he would log into it. And if someone had reached out to her, a guy, Lee would respond as Tong and reject them. He also would follow her to group activities, kind of hang out outside and wait around. And so, it was a lot for Tong, and she was kind of getting annoyed with it. That's a lot of pressure, especially not great for any age, but they're still really young, and mm-hmm. it just seems overly controlling and excessive, and I think that Tong should dump Lee is where I'm at at the moment. Yeah, and I think she was really getting to that point, too. Um, she definitely was starting to move on because when talking to Tong's roommates, police find out that Tong actually was seeing someone else named Waxin Yang. And her friends said they didn't really know a lot about either of the guys that Tong was seeing, but either way, police knew that they needed to look into both of them. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The police department was trying to get a hold of the two gentlemen that Tong had been seeing. They were able to track down Wax and Yan and talk with him. And basically what he says is that he had seen Tong prior to the 6th and said that they were newly in kind of a relationship or a situationship. But he also provided police with an alibi and was pretty immediately removed from um, the suspect list or person of interest. Now, at this point... The police are trying to get a hold of Lee and they're trying to find Tong's car. 
because that is also missing. It was a beige Toyota and had Kentucky license plates and they were in Iowa. So they were hoping they'd be able to find it because of this. And they start to look into credit card and phone records to check and see if she'd actually maybe taken that bus to Minnesota like she had texted her friends from Lee's phone. However, they couldn't find any transactions on her card that would match that. I do feel like it's incredibly suspicious, even now knowing, well, even more so knowing that Lee used to respond on Tong's phone as her. I find it even more suspicious now that supposedly Tong sent a text to her friends from Lee's phone. Like, this isn't the first time that we would see Lee impersonating her. Well, and it's kind of like, why would he leave his phone and not take it to China? Especially if he was having a family emergency and needed to get in contact. I guess supposedly Tong had, via one of these messages, said her phone was lost or something. But it still seemed a little weird. I just, yeah, like, I just think it's an additional level of weirdness now that we know that Lee was known for responding as Tong anyways. When they're looking into Tong's credit card records, what they do find is that she had made a purchase at a gas station nearby where her study group was going to take place. And it was on September 6th, a little bit before her study group. And so they go to the gas station and look at footage and they actually see Tong come into the gas station with a guy who they identify as Lee and they come in, buy some waters and leave and everything seems pretty normal but they now know again that she is with lee before and supposedly after her study group it's not looking so hot for lee no i mean he really sounds concerning from the beginning from the jump and police know this and they're trying to track him down um something i wanted to talk about too and this is just kind of a plug and it was something i was going to mention to erica because we often record these episodes and research them and so often there's video cameras at places but they're broken or down or didn't catch anything but I found a TV show on Discovery called See No Evil and it's all about cases that evidence comes to them because they go look at footage. There is enough footage available where they were able to make a a TV show about this? Yeah, there's a bunch of, I think there's like six or seven seasons. It's a little cheesy, um, some of the reenactments, but it's all based on true crime and it's, it's pretty good. I do recommend it. Huh. I'll have to look into this. So what they start to do is look for data based off of Lee's cell phone location because they're thinking, hey, if Tong has his phone and she went to Minnesota, maybe they can kind of track down where she was. And what they do see is that on the 6th, it pinged in Nevada, Iowa. They start looking at hotels around this area and find a reservation at a budget inn hotel for the weekend, the 6th and the 7th, under Lee's name. And this is a town that's just outside of Ames. And they go and talk to the person working at the front desk who actually remembers checking them in. What they do say is that they don't remember them checking out like at the front desk. They just kind of left at some point. I will say, though, in this episode, it comes up. They check the surveillance for the lobby at this motel, hotel, whatever, and the camera system wasn't working properly. (laughs) Okay, I'm not surprised. They do go look around in the room that Lee and Tong stayed in, but they didn't really find anything, which isn't too surprising because it's been two weeks since they stayed there. And as you can imagine, there's been cleaning and turnover and other people staying. And so, again, they're at a dead end. When they're looking at Lee's phone records, they do see that 
a phone call was made to a Paul Kwok, who was friends with Lee. And so they contact Paul and he says that Lee had contacted him about getting some flights to China. And this happened a day before September 6th. Paul does say, like, sure, I can help you out. And and Paul asked if he would need a ticket back. And Lee's like, oh, no, don't worry about it. My mom will just get it. I'll figure it out when I get there. Lee's flight is going to go from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, have a layover in Chicago, and then off to China. And they're able to confirm that Lee did take that flight. They looked at travel manifestos and found that he had taken a cab there. And again, they're like, well, why wouldn't have Tong drove him to the airport then? Where is her car? So it's still all looking a little suspicious. I feel like they're asking some good questions at the moment. I like, yeah, it's not rare. I mean, it's it's pretty frequent that we see the ball get dropped because somebody just forgets to ask specific questions like that. And I feel like they're doing a a pretty good job there. They're Mm -hmm. really taking the time and effort to like truthfully solve this case, I guess is a good way to word that. They're definitely doing their due diligence. Now, as I mentioned, they're looking at Lee's phone and mapping towers for it. And what they find out is that when the text that went to Tong's dad and Tong's roommate slash friend went out, it pinged from Chicago. And so at this point, they're thinking, "Mm, it probably wasn't Tong, and this matches with Lee's layover, which was in Chicago. I was going to say, this is seeming suspicious. And by suspicious, I mean incredibly suspicious. Yeah. They had looked at Lee's apartment. Kind of looked like he had left in a hurry. It was really messy. There was a container of milk left just sitting out on the counter, which is not something people typically do. And on September 26th, they're looking around for Tong's car and they actually end up finding it. And it's less than 10 meters from Dolphin Bay apartment. And this is where Lee lived. Now, detectives go to check it out, and in some interviews, they say as soon as they start walking towards the car and get within a few feet of it, they could smell human decay. When they open up the trunk, they find a suitcase, which they open, and they do find Tong's body inside of it. Her head was wrapped with a towel, and there were also two dumbbells in the suitcase, and they also find Tong's phone in the front seat, so it obviously wasn't lost. I am curious, just because I know the behavior of individuals like this. What was Lee's excuse for this? I feel like he was probably going to try to come up with something or did he just completely like turn into it and be like, yeah, I did this. So good question. At this point, they're still unable to track Lee down because he's in China and they have no idea where he's at. When they do an autopsy on Tong's body, they find that she died from asphyxiation and she also had blunt force trauma on her face. Could they determine how long she'd been dead for at this point? They were pretty sure that she had likely died the day of the 6th or the 7th. And at this point, they're like, all right, we're going to go back to the motel. We're going to look in the room and we're taking crime scene technicians. And so they start spraying luminol and find blood in the room. Additionally, they have that towel that they found wrapped around Tong's head and the brand of it matches the brand that was used at the motel. They're pretty sure this is where she died. It kind of makes me sad that, I mean, I I obviously 100% know why they did, but it's really unfortunate that it happened in a hotel where cleaning crew then went in, like you said, and cleaned it up. So there was nothing that they could go off of because... Right. Yeah. And... You know, the first time they went, I'm guessing they didn't have any really good reason to spray luminol around and look. 
they're just like, oh, they checked out. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Again, police are trying to piece things together and they're looking at Lee's phone records. And they find that on September 3rd that Lee had been on the phone with somebody named Karen Yang, who was a friend of his that attended the University of Michigan. And they had had a phone call for about three hours. So they call her and say, hey, you know, we're looking for Lee. We saw you guys had a conversation. What was it about? And she tells investigators that she had talked to Lee because Lee was really upset. I guess he had called Tong and somehow she accidentally answered the phone in her pocket and he heard her talking to another guy and he heard her basically talking about how much Lee had been bothering her and the relationship was toxic and maybe she was going to be breaking up with him. Well, that's not good, but not reason to murder somebody throwing that out there no this i don't know exactly what all was said but it was a 30 minute conversation basically that lee listened in on they also talked to lee's roommate and his roommate kind of said that that night after the phone call happened they're watching a game and he reports that lee was kind of acting weird and at some point was like, if a person disappears suddenly, how long will it take the police to find them? And this really upset the roommate and they just didn't really talk to Lee again because they were uncomfortable with it. Investigators next start looking at the evidence they do have. And so they look at the suitcase and they see a brand and they track it to a TJ Maxx in Ames, Iowa. And they go there to look at video footage. And on September 6th, they see Lee come in and buy the suitcase. And something that's kind of creepy about it, you can see him like pulling down different suitcases, taking his time, looking at different sizes, which is horrifying because at this point, we're pretty sure we know what he's doing and why he's buying this suitcase. They're also able to track him to a local Walmart and find video footage of him buying the two dumbbells that were found in the suitcase. At this point, they're like, we have all this evidence. We're going to issue an arrest warrant. But again, Lee is in China and they don't really know where he is. And another thing during this time, and maybe still now, I'm not sure, but they didn't have an extradition treaty between the U.S. and China. So it wasn't like they could find him and ship him back to be tried in the U.S. at this point. Did they, and maybe you're going to get to this, but so did that mean that they basically had to wait for him to come back to the U.S. before they could do anything? That would be one of the options, but police decide to reach out to officials in China and talk to them. And they actually really get involved with this and they're like, we're going to take it on. We'll arrest him here. And... It starts becoming a really big case in China because nobody really knows where Lee is. I saw that they had mentioned that hashtag find Lee was shared on social media over 2 million times. And they end up figuring out that he was in Wenzhou, China. And he actually turned himself in to authorities on May 13th, 2015. Do we know why he turned himself in? Was he feeling guilty or did he do it just because he knew that they were out for him? I'm guessing he probably figured he was going to get caught. I mean, he didn't really say exactly why he came in. Who knows? But I mean, at this point, it was, it seemed almost inevitable. With everything that's going on, they end up deciding to have his trial in China. And on March 23rd, 2016, it's held in China. And they 
start to look at all the evidence. As I mentioned, a lot of stuff really connected. And what they figure out as a timeline is that on September 5th is when he gets the tickets to China. He obviously drops her off the study group and goes and buys the suitcases and dumbbells. And so they're able to prove that it's premeditated. It wasn't an act of passion by any means. He planned this. So they think he took her to the hotel and then confronted her and hit her with the dumbbells and then ended up strangling her to death. Something that I thought was um, interesting that I wanted to note that I found when I was looking into this case, apparently this was like one of the very first times that the Chinese authorities, the situation arose and they actually invited investigators to come and testify at the trial. I guess that was really uncommon. So that's really interesting and kind of nice to see these different governmental entities working together to bring justice to Tong and her family. The trial progresses, and in June of 2016, Lee is eventually charged with intentional homicide, and he is sentenced to life in prison. I know I kind of mentioned it before, but I am honestly really impressed with this case. Even though we had the hiccup of some of the security footage not working and things, we I felt like the investigators in this case, at least from what you presented and, and the way that it was solved, like... They did their due diligence. They worked together. They worked with a whole other country on bringing this guy in. And I just don't feel like we see that very often. So I feel like that's something special about this case that I would like to at least discuss a little bit or just point out to give some the detectives and the investigators involved in bringing Lee in like some sort of credit for this because this is rare. And the fact that it was less than two years from when Tong was murdered that... Lee ended up getting sentenced. That's basically unheard of. I know. They did such an amazing job tracking down all the leads and connecting the evidence. So it is it is refreshing to actually have a case like that. As tragic as it is that it happened, at least they were able to very quickly, in terms of an investigation and trying somebody, bring Lee to justice and give some closure for Tong's friends and family. Thanks to listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. All of our sources can be found in the show notes for each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. You can also support us by recommending us to friends and family, giving us a good review on Apple Podcasts, or subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.